This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. Yep, this is episode two of the Pete Vordenberg Experience. And a quick reminder, explicit language is used almost right off the bat here. Okay, just a quick refresher. Here's how we left off episode one. It sort of paints an interesting picture. Oh yeah, there's a show here. Is there a show tonight? Do you know what's going on? Modest Yahoo. No. Wait, who's playing? Are you shitting me? Wait, who are you? Modest Yahoo. Who are you? Oh, I'm Zach. (laughs) From Bend? Ish. Bendish. Where do you live, Zach? Uh, In Bend. I'm here from Maryland originally. Okay, welcome. What's your name? Tucker. What is this thing? It's a microphone. I know it looks kind of beastie. It's got like a, it's just a wind block because it's kind of windy out. Um, Who's playing tonight? Modest Yahoo. Fill me in. I'm a little old. So I, I'm, I'm also not so super versed. Like he's, he's like, I believe it's like Jewish themed. He's, you know. He's only from here. Yeah. He, well, he's, I think he lived here for a while, but uh, it's like, I don't know, Mediterranean music. You might have it's, more insight. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a, reg, he's a major reggae star, man. Dude, look, look at the venue here. It's kind of I can't. We need to hang this shit up and go to the show. <laughs> so here's Pete to set the scene and circle us back to Modest Yahoo. So you painted the scene at the last place. Can you paint it here, please? You know, it's it's quite similar. We're on the river now. The the Deschutes, also known to those just moving here from the greater LA area as the Descahudes. I've never heard that. That's awesome. <laughs> you got to get out. I know. I do need to get out. There's like the, 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 the Jewish reggae star that I know nothing about. Modest Yahoo. Yeah. Have you ever seen him live? No. I'm, I'm assuming no. it's a him. Yep, it is. This is how I found out about Modest Yahoo. Eli Brown. Do you know the name? Yeah, I. so that's funny. Yeah, Eli... Like all things on this podcast, it uh, ties I mean, back I mean, to I mean, the Nordic uh, ski scene. Uh, it turns out Modest Yahoo is two or three degrees separated from Cross Country's version of the Deep State. Eli Brown is a longtime go-to wax tech for the U.S. ski team. Anyway, Eli Brown, his brother yeah. has gone through this amazing philosophical, religious, spiritual journey and landed... Whoa in this in a, as some sort of a <clears throat> I'm not going to say he landed he's at least passed through a spell as a whatever you call it, like a devout Jewish person definitely not a rabbi no um, but but he's like been a one of those whirly whirly whirling, dude, whirling dervish whirling dervish I don't think that he may be of the people or whatever okay but I'm not so. sure that he's you know. Okay. Um, What's anyway, he, he, and he so he's a singer. He's a singer. Eli's brother. Eli's brother did oh. this kind of singing. He and Eli's brother and his wife. And they, um, wow. They, they performed with Modest Yahoo. So that's how I know. Wait, what? Modest Yahoo. Okay, you sure you got it right? If I can just say it as a part of a sentence, it comes out way better. Than Who did Eli Brown's brother sing with? Modest Yahoo. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a cool so that's way how of I heard, tying that's it all how into I heard of, of okay. Modest Yahoo. So, 
Okay, so where the hell were we? Wow. Gosh. <clears throat> I then asked Pete about his thoughts on selection criteria and the whole notion of discretion. So, so, Faster Skeeter ran these articles, yeah, and selection criteria, and you know, not to go into all the details, Mm -hmm. but people get up in arms Mm -hmm. whenever the word discretion comes up. Yeah, and. There's a portion of the selection criteria that has to do with uh, discretion, and Chris, yeah. Chris Grover, yeah. and what did you want? We were referring to him strictly as Grover, right? <clears throat> there are other Grovers. That's true. His brother lives in one. town. Do you know that? Todd. Yeah. So there's another Great Grover. Dude. Yeah, really good guy. Yeah. Really good guy. If yeah. you ever have, if you guys have legal trouble, he's your man. Yeah, that's not the Grover we're talking about. No, we're talking about the guy if you have ski trouble. This other guy's your man. Grover will not wax your skis. Okay, how about like selection criteria trouble? (laughs) Look, if you are having selection criteria trouble, you are, you put yourself in that spot. Okay, so that's where I'm going. So this whole idea of discretion just like raises everyone's hackles, it seems like in the U.S. ski community. I don't think so. I doubt that's true. I doubt uh, you hear from right. the ones who have raised hackles. You are right. I just interviewed John Caldwell earlier this week. Uh-huh. And one of the things he brought up, we had a question about, like, okay, what would you change about the selection criteria for the Olympics? He's like, more discretion. Mm-hmm. Well, discretion is a tough point. And I got to be really clear. I'm not talking for anybody but me. I'm not speaking for Chris Grover, though I'm sure he would love it if I did. Right? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> One thing he's always loved is when I have a couple beers and then talk for him. So I am representing Chris Grover, Matt Wickham, Brian Fish. I don't know that I... Do you uh, know on, Jason Corks? On. Do you know Jason Corks' dad? That guy... That, no, yeah. I know they grew up in like uh, wait, North Pole, Alaska, Let right? Let me just tell you, I'm not going to mess with the Corks. Give me a little insight into Corks' dad. <clears throat> so we were... Does that explain Cork? Uh, I think more insight ne- is needed to explain him. Okay. Um, I, so we're at we're in Fairbanks. It's like uh, it's spring series or whatever spring series has become um, that takes it to places like Fairbanks rather than places like Sun Valley. <clears throat> Read into that what you may. Okay. We're in Fairbanks, and you hear from I don't know how far away, a long way away. <laughs> Sounds like NASCAR is coming this way. And this this um, super classic, beautiful, I can't remember, what, I'm not a car guy, right? I just rec- I can recognize beauty. So uh, he, up this dude rolls. I mean, it looks like, he looks like, he looks like the guys that ZZ Top would, would hire to protect ZZ Top. He's got a beard down to here and he's just, he's a bad dude, right? <clears throat> This is, Cor- this is Jason Cork's, Cork's dad. dad. Cork's dad. He jumps out, uh, also known as Mr. Cork. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. So he jumps out, bearded guy. He looks like, uh, you know, like ZZ Top. He's, you know, awesome. And you expect him to come up and, well, I don't know, you know, give you a shot of whiskey or something. He's got a tin of cookies that Mrs. Cork has baked for us. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> 
Huge hugs, right? He jumps out of this thing looking like he could knife you. Huge hugs all around and a big tin of cookies. Okay, so... I love contradictions. So we're off the Cork family cookies and back on to selection criteria. Vordenberg picks up talking about his own experience qualifying for the Olympics. Selection criteria. Yeah. Well, so the first time... The, actually, I think both times, but definitely the first time I made the Olympics. I think, no, actually both times. The first time I made it, the second time I made it, and the, the third time when I didn't make it, God, I think the third time as well. I think they were just based on one event. I think it was nationals. So you'd show up there, how you did there, you're in or out. That's the worst way to pick an Olympic team. So that would have been 96? 92, 94, and 98. Oh, so they switched after 94. Yes, it was 92, 94, and then, then four years from then on. Where was 98? 98 was in Nagano, Japan. Yeah, which would have been which would have been great. I would have loved that. But he has a job to do, and he's actually quite amazing at doing this, because I've witnessed him as both as a coach and as a dad for many many years. Because he he's had these his kids are teenagers, <clears throat> so he was a parent during all this time that we were on the road together and and working together. And when he's at work, and when he's thinking about his work stuff, he's a, he is as professional as a person can be. And he's just thinking about what he's got to do for his job and what he's got, you know, what the goals are and how to accomplish those goals. So when he comes up with, with anything, first of all, he never just comes up with something by himself. It's not like he's just making something up. The... Um, the uh, selection criteria is something that has evolved and been worked on and continues to be evolved and, and continues to be worked on for years and years and years. And many, many people have contributed to how it's developed. There's a, a whole, I mean, <clears throat> I wish I could remember. We might have to go inside. I'm cold. <clears throat> I wish I could remember what it's called, but there's, a, there's all kinds of committees meetings, discussions, and these are people from all, from all over the country, from Alaska to, to Maine, New Hampshire, California. They all come together, and they all have a say in how these things are developed. Yep. <clears throat> so there's this whole history behind how they're developed, and there's input from all over the country. Coaches who coach college, coaches who coach... High school coaches who coach, um, uh, just clubs, you know, all these people, and they all have input, direct input into how these decisions are made, whether it's whatever it is, you know, what are we going to hold um, our junior camps? It's, not, it's, it's inside out. Are we going to hold our junior camps in, uh, you know what? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? What's the, and then also selection criteria, and that's how this stuff is made, and then it's decided upon through a lot of discussion and a lot of um, input, and then and and with a lot of history. I mean, it didn't just come out of thin air. Grover didn't just wake up in the morning and say, "We're doing this." I don't care. We're doing this. Okay. 
There, <clears throat> also, Chris Grover's email, Chris Grover's phone number, Matt Whitcomb's email, Chris, Matt Whitcomb's phone number. It's all so available. If anybody has actual legitimate feedback, actual legitimate input, thoughts, um, ideas, they can get a hold of these guys directly and talk to them. And that's how, that's how stuff actually happens, is by talking to people. How stuff doesn't happen is by typing with your, you know, with your, with your two index fingers as hard as you can with the caps locks key on and trying to make a comment on the internet. That doesn't achieve anything. It doesn't. Do you think, I mean, do you think any of those guys are really going to take a call? Maybe an email. Oh, for sure. A call no, they, from, yes. uh, I mean, I don't want to mention names, but like usual suspects that comment on Pastor Skier. I, anybody who called me, I, of course. I don't know how many calls those guys get. Maybe times have changed. It was not the case that I got so many calls that I wasn't going to take one. And these are, in a way, they're, they, these are your people. But the, the, the people that are making a difference and actually contributing to this thing are the ones that will go to the trouble to pick up the phone and make that call. And so you're going to answer the phone. Those are the people that care. If you're typing with your two fat index fingers as hard as you can, that's not caring. That's actually not the, that person probably isn't gonna pick up the phone and call and give you a good idea about how to improve what you're gonna do. All they wanna do is criticize what you're trying to do. That's not a way to achieve anything. And that's not a way to help anybody. If you want to make a difference, if you really care, you will make that call. At very least, if you're too bashful to make the call, or a lot of these people, I've been in the exact same room as them, and I've seen the comments they've made, and they are too bashful, or whatever the term may be, to walk up to, my, to me and say, hey man, I got an idea for you. Have you considered this? No, they wouldn't do that. And if they really cared enough, they would have done that. They're just trying to make a point to their friends or, their, or whatever. I don't know their motivation. But if their motivation was pure, we would have heard from them directly. So, okay, two things. First, how are you feeling after putting on the vest? Way better. For real? Honestly, yeah. Okay. My core temperatures come up like right. three degrees. Here's my question. Sorry, it took 30 minutes. What is the hardest decision you had to make as the U.S. ski team coach? Head coach, right? You were head coach? Yeah. So I was the head coach starting hardest. in 2006 until 2010. As the head coach or just as a coach? The hardest decision I made and the best was quitting. I had invested, you know... <clears throat> however many years in the sport my first daughter was was born like uh, in December and I spent that winter on the road I had been in love with the sport since 
and and the athletes that I was working with and the people I was working with even more so than the sport the people I was working with were uh, such a huge part of my life and they're you know not all not everybody but so many of them are my are still really good friends that I just love to see and that I cheer for every weekend and that I want you know I wish the best for all the at all times and in whatever they're doing so to leave the sport to make that choice that was the hardest decision for sure so one of the things I remember so again I think I mentioned this that I met Pete for the first time in and don't forget to let me mention this hostile dog over there I want to bring up the book again that they were actually reading it I told you that anecdote right who I told you that they were reading the book this who weekend was reading it? It, the skiers this weekend oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean dude yeah. that that was that was kind of caught me off guard okay so when I met you yeah go ahead these are good tacos aren't they we'll get more if we no, need I'm more good. we'll get some. do you like them I'm hungry yeah you burn a lot of calories today I'm skinny fat you know what I'm saying what does that mean it means I don't have a lot of muscle because I don't do like a lot of hard exercise but I'm constantly busy I never I, there's never a, 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 a moment of rest very few moments of rest just as a parent I hear it okay I quit the US ski team traveling more than half the year around the world yeah and got this way harder job yeah way harder something you chose though I chose it I look back with complete confidence that I made the right choice and what's that job stay at home dad yeah. it's so hard yes <laughs> way harder you know what's harder than being an athlete being a coach you know what's harder than being a coach I don't know probably a lot of things but at least what I know about being a stay-at-home dad way harder than any of that being an athlete's the easiest job I've ever had one thing that stuck with me that you said and we were I think the world championships had ended and you were there working on a story having to do with like sustainability and ski Can racing talk about that later yeah, of course. And I, I remember kind of turning to you and asking, so like, tell me a little bit about like your transition from elite athlete, elite level coach. You know, you're you're in that game. All you're thinking about 24-7 is mm. how do I make my skis fast, my, my skiers faster? Mm-hmm. Um, you said, you said something like, I had to strangle the old Pete. Yeah. To move on. Yeah. Do you, do you, I don't yeah. know, you probably don't remember saying that, but that's yeah. just something no, that no, I was no. like, holy crap. I don't crap. remember saying that, but that's totally true. That I is did. what you said. I had to strangle the old Pete and the, the, mm-hmm. the visceral image I had, I was oh. like, wow, okay, mm-hmm. this dude was like knee deep in this game. Yeah. I mean, before kids, so my wife, she has her job that she's really, she's awesome at it. What does she, she do? She's a doctor and, um, She's great at it, and she loves it. So she's really engaged in that. So when we were just she and I, we both were engaged in in our things that we were that. <clears throat> you know what she does, and even and as a coach, what I did is to help other people. You know, be better, be better for for her is to help them stay alive and and become you know get back on their get going again. And for me, it was to become you know, as good a skier as they could possibly be and 
with luck and everything else that's involved to win at the international level. So we were both super engaged in these things. And then all of a sudden, I got to shift gears from, from spending almost all of my waking hours, literally, I mean, and I loved it, working towards that goal. Big time breaks and, and just, that's just got to go away. Because now I have a new thing that I have to put all my time, energy, focus into. And that's these kids. And it, and those kids are not involved. There's no, none of my ego can play into what, to their growth. I mean, it has nothing to do with me, you know, at the, I got to get, the more I can get out of the way, the better. So that's, that's interesting. Cause that's, um, so one is the parent of, you know, I have a nine and 14 year old, mm. um, that's a hard thing to do. Mm. I mean, for me, I spent 40 years chasing the Olympic dream. <clears throat> and that, that shifted from me winning that, that medal as the racer to somebody else winning that, that medal as the athlete. But still, it had so much... I didn't recognize this then, but now I can look back and say that still had so much to do with me and what I wanted to accomplish and what I, you know, felt would, would uh, validate me. You know, I was validating myself through this accomplishment. And now, I mean, <laughs> me? me? <laughs> it's, not, it's not even a me. So there tries to be. I mean, I'll tell you that. Yeah, so how does that it's, manifest? It's hard. I got to take a, I mean, yoga, meditation. Um, I mean, you know, you got to get, it's, it's not easy. All right. So how are you doing? Oh, good. Real good. Oh, now he's like putting his hands. No, he has a vest on. Oh, this is really typical for me. If it's minus 20, I can stand out on the side of the ski trail forever. Right, if it's like 72. If it's 72. Forget it. That's Sorry. just how it is. No, okay. it's how it is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So, but I want to get through what you wanted to get through first. Well, well, so I guess a couple of the questions that came my way, I think you've answered were what, you know, what is Pete up to? I mean, like very few people who are so immersed in the sport, just cold Turkey stop. They're just not immersed in the scene whether you know if they're yeah. a u.s ski team coach they step down and maybe a regional coach a club coach or whatever yeah so that's the question coming up you know and you've talked uh-huh. about what you're up to yeah um would you you know i want to tell you yeah i and do yeah answering you. this because you're married to an olympic mm-hmm. cross-country skier yeah would you i mean are your kids gonna ski i mean like how does that all play out into like how you want to expose your kids to the sport. Right. This is this is really one of the big reasons why. I mean, okay, the reasons reasons I wanted to do this, I thought it'd be fun. Has it I been? Th- awesome, man. I I've, I've loved it. Yeah, I love it. I love chatting. I just okay, some of the favorite my favorite things to do in the world involve eating, drinking and shooting the shit. Okay. I love that. So, Yes, 
what I have the process of thought that I've gone through. I quit coaching thinking that I would co- uh, that I would come right back to it. You know, I quit. I was like, okay, I'm quitting. I'm doing the kid thing. I, you know, I didn't even know what I was talking about. I had no idea. Probably nobody does. I'm doing the kid thing, and then I'll come back to coaching. And as soon as I got into the into into being a stay-at-home dad and raising my kids, the importance of what I had been doing revealed itself. The mask was pulled off of of elite-level sports, and I saw that it was completely and utterly meaningless. Who wins these ski races has nothing to do with anything that makes any difference in this world. It is silliness. So that's step one. Step two, uh, let's see, how do I explain step two? Step two, um, you're raising your kids, your, your kids get beyond the level of just needing to, to you know, stay alive. You're not just keeping them alive and, and reading them uh, Winnie the Pooh. They don't even know what you're talking about. Now all of a sudden they're like these little things that wander around and get out and, and you realize that um, nature you start to realize that some of the important things that were connected with cross-country skiing. How important nature is, how important um, being outside all year round is, how important, you know, um, interacting with nature and uh, all, that, uh, all that is. You know, it's cross-country skier puts you, cross-country skiing puts you in nature in a in such a way that you're really interacting with it. I mean, you're dealing with the temperatures, you're dealing with the the beauty of it, and also the harshness of it. And you're dealing with your own physical limits, you know, and frustrations, and and trying to move about in this in in nature, you know, on snow. It's it's not an easy thing. You're not getting. You're not being in. You're not being pulled around by your parent. You're trying to move around by yourself, and so you start to realize, okay, you know, all right. I have so far. I have. I gave up um, everything to do with cross-country skiing. I I threw everything out, and now I realize, no, no, don't throw everything out. There's a lot to be gained from this activity and from this sport. And you can see your kids getting enjoyment out of it and learning from it. And I mean, I mean I'm talking about, you know, at the age of three and stuff. All, right there, you can start to see the benefit of the sport itself and, and doing the sport. And then, um, then, you re- then I started to really reflect upon my own upbringing and what not just doing the sport did for me, but doing the sport as a competitor did for me. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the friends that it brought me, probably more than anything else, is the community that it is and how important that was. And the kind of stuff that we were up to as kids and, as, and even as adults versus what so many other people are up to, you know, on a Friday night. And I love, I love to have some beers. And I love to 
you know, carouse. But when I think about my kids, and especially when, you know, my wife is a doctor, so when I think about the kind of troubles that people are getting in out there, I really see the benefits that being a part of this sport played in my life and, you know, and can play in my kids' life. And the, the kind of trouble that they get in as cross-country skiers, it doesn't amount to anything compared to the kind of trouble that one can get in easily without looking too hard. There's a lot more trouble out there than what, what this community, you know, what we're up to. So if you're just going out cross-country skiing, that's a little different than, than being a competitive cross-country skier. And I haven't worked my way through this completely, you know, because there's a lot of pitfalls with competitive sport. Um, but there's a, lot, there's a lot more pitfalls just out there in general. And I think competitive sport really, you know, and cross-country skiing in particularly, can really, in particular, can really, you know, guide you in a great direction. Do you and your wife, I mean, I can imagine you don't, but, you know, you're sitting there, she's got the day off the next morning. Yeah. You're having wine, whatever. Do you guys talk, I mean, you both have these elite level experiences. Do you guys yeah. talk about that? Like, yeah. oh my gosh, how are we going to raise our girls and how do we expose them yeah I mean that was such a huge part of like yeah. who you guys were right and I I was so deep in it I think more than Barb more than my wife I was so deep in it um, and so focused on it and so focused on um, you know as a coach really focused on bringing everybody along to win these races and so when I did quit and saw kind of how empty that potentially could be, I went way in the opposite direction where I was ready to, you know, say that this is all nonsense, this, uh, this, this leads nowhere. And I really just started coming back um, within the last year, honestly, where I, where I started to see not just the benefits of the sport, but also the benefits of of being a, on a ski team and you know aiming for goals and and the things that I would have you know talked up a thousand times before and we talk about it all the time because she's super driven and super uh, successful basically in everything she's done and so I think she for some reason she was able to see those benefits more clearly than me Maybe just because I swing much more, I'm, you know, swing wildly, passionately from extreme to extreme. She's much more of a steady person. So <clears throat> we talk about it all the time. And I was like, nope, we're not doing it. We're not doing any of this. Com competition is out. So as I swing back, I, I really realize how important, how the sport you know the coaching is and and the and the parenting and how you emphasize uh what you emphasize is so important so we talked earlier about like winning and uh what does that even mean and it's really meaningless who wins a ski race the person that wins a ski race 
it's not necessarily the person that's worked the hardest. It's not necessarily the person that's worked the best, has the best technique necessarily, the person that hurts the most. I mean, it's really hard to imagine that the person that won the ski races that I wear, like in the Olympics, where I was like 47th. I mean, I was suffering. I was suffering. And not only was I suffering, but I was suffering like a sort of humiliation and a sort of like self destructive doubt in those moments where I was hurting so bad and just watching my dreams and my hopes just they were just you know completely trampled and unrealistic like in real time like there's this awful just realization like oh I am not I am so far away and I'm hurting so bad. I'm going as fast as I can go, and I am not going to do it. The person that's winning the race, they may be hurting, but that is, that's way different. I mean, I've won races. I know what it's like to win a race, and I know what it's like to lose a race. Losing a race hurts in ways that winning a race can't come close to. So, um, who wins a ski race? We may be learning all the wrong things by trying to imitate somebody that wins a ski race because they're winning a ski race for reasons that they could be cheating. They could just be born with gifts that we can never overcome through the best hard work ever. But what does matter is this process of improvement and growth. So I think if we are really focused on just trying to always just improve how fast we are how you know that we're learning at all times that the that this sport and the competition in general has so much to teach and you know just so much uh so much for a kid to to enjoy but also to to really learn from and to take with them the rest of their lives but that if you do it and it's just focused on winning and you measure the success of the, um, of the entire, like, uh, the, the success of the, the entire operation on the outcome, then it's really self-destructive. So, can I keep going? Do you want to? Yeah. Okay, so. I have one more question. Okay, so, so we got so to tie in um, what I'm doing to this so one thing I'm doing and it's going very slowly is I'm writing helping to write a book with Sten Fieldheim and this book he started it like eight years ago and it's it's taken the writings and uh, <clears throat> um, thoughts from skiers that he's coached and all women skiers over the years and so our idea is to put all these writings in their words into a book or some sort of a thing that uh, that uh, that up-and-coming women athletes can read and, and like learn from their experiences. So so many of these experiences have had troubles that I think we can that we should be able to avoid, and most of them have to do with a lot of them have to do with disordered eating. So I think that it's okay if you're focused on winning a race as a goal, 
as long as you know that's a goal and and the actual focus is on the process of achieving that and that the process is right you you're going through the correct process to improve yourself to you know to achieve a goal and <clears throat> i know that for myself uh the most enjoyable part of any of the skiing that I've ever done has been complete has been completely related to the process of doing it. Has been those times when you're out running by your by yourself or with your friends or whatever, and you're you're just completely engaged in the act of of this thing. Like every pull click, that's that moment is has your complete attention. That's those are the enjoyable moments. Or as a coach watching your athletes like go through that and you're like that day and that workout that's your focus and those moments those are the moments that you both get enjoyment from and which if you can focus on them um actually brings you to the next step and i think that you start to get all these other problems when the focus just is remains on the goal rather than this process of this day-to-day, moment-to-moment process of getting there. So, <clears throat> if you really thought about winning a ski race or improving yourself as a skier, this disordered eating thing is not going to enter into that because it doesn't, it doesn't get you where you want to go. So that's just one example, both of what I'm doing and kind of my process as a as a uh, ex-coach, parent. And you know, trying to think about how to how to approach skiing for my kids. The last section here is about what yeah. Vordenberg was doing in Lati at World Championships last winter with his buddy Brad Nelson. Nelson is himself a former NMU skier, a world touring drummer with the Black Eyed Snakes, and a dad. What we were doing there. So we have so Brad and I have this creative uh, spark that we share. And these kids who Brad has never really fell out of love with skiing, and I did, but um, he helped me bring, he helped to bring me back, and then the world championships actually really also helped to bring me back. So we were going to write this article article for cross country skiing about this sport. And it it was coming, it was very broad. We started out very broad, and the you know, bless their hearts down there at Cross Country Skier. Dan, uh, Danny Cusio has put up with this. Started out very broad and wanted to talk about the community of skiing, the, uh, all these aspects of skiing for this article. But what, you know, what, what it came down to is global warming. We want to keep this sport for our kids right because all of a sudden i realized the value of this thing and 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 now we realize that we're losing this it we are losing it i know you guys had a great season here in bend and we had a great season in uh utah too but it's not like it used to be so we narrowed this whole thing down we were we were going to talk about doping in sports we were going to talk about um uh, what we kind of talked about, you know, like uh, the the social side of sports and the benefits and the pitfalls and stuff like that. And you know, sport 
is sport is cross-country skiing living or dying or whatever and the most the biggest thing that this sport is facing is not doping it's the fact that winters are getting so so much shorter and so that's what this article has come down to but there's a huge social and um uh community component to that and that is that our sport is like a serious canary in the coal mine it's our a lot of if you look around all these people are just like they're psyched man it's warm it's warm they're great they're great they they get they only ski once a year anyway at christmas they don't notice anything but for us we do we have noticed that if you don't have man-made snow in the east you don't ski if they don't have man-made snow that's it they're not skiing i mean they're skiing for one week a year or whatever without man-made skiing in the twin cities this the sport is dead it's all ultimate frisbee and mountain biking which are great things too but you know it's dead without man-made skiing so we're facing a real i mean we are witness to one of the first like observable effects of this of global warming and it's our responsibility to speak out not only is it our responsibility i mean the canary is gasping for breath at the bottom of the cage and we're looking at it so if we don't speak out it's going to be too late it's like up to us and and like divers who can witness the the reefs you know bleaching and dying so we are the voice of what's happening and so if we don't speak out then we're we're you know it, for us it's probably already you know we got 100 years of of trying to turn this around we got to turn it around now to save it 100 years from now but the thing is is that this is a, a really strong community i mean we're already organized into teams and into regions and clubs and stuff and all the changes so all the changes that are possible that can make that can actually turn the ship around are possible because of small actions actions that start with one or two people and spread to a little team and that team does something that group that club does something and that spreads it always starts with one or two people that influence their little group of people and then that spreads and that spreads and that spreads so and this is stuff that's happening like right now like it the rest of the world is taking action and they're taking action in these kind of little small ways that that you and I can do that we as as individuals and as little groups can actually have a big impact the we are the only ones that can do this nobody else is going to do it if there's one thing we're good at it's organizing ourselves towards one goal So set one goal and just accomplish that. Put solar on your clubhouse. Um uh carpool to every single Wednesday practice. Hold every Tuesday practice with no driving at all. Just things like that. You come up with your own plan that you can accomplish and do it. If there's one thing cross country skiers can do, it is be organized towards a goal. So let's do that. We are we are a community with with so much power, with so much potential power. When I think about 
all of our energy put towards winning ski races, let's put some of that energy towards saving skiing. And of course, skiing is just a small thing. That's just the thing that we're into. Really, we're talking about saving a lot more than skiing. And we, we can do it. If nobody else can do it, we can do it. <laughs> Sorry, was that too much? No, I got my plug in there at the end. <laughs> no, it's all good. All right, anything else? Let me think for, one, for a half a minute. Can you tie that all together, you think? or <laughs> It's going to be a task. Yeah, no, I, I, I've got some ideas. I'm good. All right, okay. so thanks for your time. All right, well, no, thank you. Thanks for the beers and the oh, good times. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to episode two of the Pete Vordenberg Experience, and we'll end on this little-known and most excellent piece of Vordenberg ancestry. Where is that? What's the derivation? Vordenberg. It's, du- it's a Dutch name. Okay. So it's, it means in front of the mountain. Yeah. It's a cool name, right? Vordenberg, in front of the mountain. Yeah.